The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. By the way, Chris, that was a double stack Marshall. I leapt off the top. I just thought you'd appreciate that because I know you're a musician. <laughs> well, I played through a uh, 1956 Fender bass. Oh, I'm jealous now. Okay, let's start the show. Here we go, folks, and we'll be talking more music as we get through the show. <laughs> Showtime. Welcome to the show. Chris Milligan's here tonight. Chris is a writer, he's a researcher, he's a publisher, and he has a father who was in the Office of Strategic Services, that's the OSS. That was a predecessor, folks, to the CIA. He was also in G2, which is military intelligence. He was also later in the CIA, rising to branch chief head of intelligence analysis for East Asia. His father told Chris some rather strange things that he didn't quite understand in the late 60s. Chris was just a kid. These revelations led to over 30 years of research into the subjects of CIA drugs, clandestine operations, conspiracy theory, and secret societies. Now, fans of this show will know that we've had a rash of incredible guests on the show for the past, all summer long, for the past two months. Uh, William Law has been on the show, uh, Len Kolodny, uh, oh, etc., etc. They're all from Chris's publishing house called Trine Day. Now, Trine Day was started when Chris brought Anthony Sutton's underground classic, America's Secret Establishment, an introduction to the Order of Skull and Bones, to a wider audience, published the book, Expendable Elite, by Lieutenant Colonel Dan Marvin, and a tale of Special Forces Commander and his tangles with the CIA. Now, there's a lot of recent books that Trine Day has produced, and I would recommend everybody going to the Trine Day website. And as always, www.nightfrightshow.com. Those links will be there for you to just to click on. Now, let's get into the show. Chris, welcome to the show for the first time, and absolutely not the last time. We've got you now, buddy. You're not escaping. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, Brent. And I, you know, I, I, I always love a good drummer. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it's always good. I, I, I played with uh, many. You know, it's should we tell them the drummer now. joke just to start off, how, <laughs> folks? How do you tell when a drummer's at your front door? There's two ways. The first way is you hear the knocking. The second way is you're probably giving him a tip for the pizza you just ordered. We'll continue. Chris, what was growing up, you know, we just had St. John Hunt on the show, another one of your amazing, amazing authors, by the way, folks. And you'll find that in the www.nightfrightshow.com archives as well, whose father was E. Howard Hunt. Now, what was it like for you growing up with a quote-unquote spook for a father? Well, I, I, I really didn't know it. I mean... We knew something was going on. We'd spent, you know, time overseas, but the the folks didn't talk about it. It wasn't something that was that was that was talked about. It. The only thing that I knew about my dad being in the CIA was I would talk with my older brother and older sister, and I always figured that my older brother picked it up at at Fairfax High School, 
uh, because there was a lot of people from the CIA in Fairfax. I mean, the first time my dad ever told me he was in the CIA was when he had a meeting with me uh, the day before my 20th birthday. I knew, but it was just something we never talked about. It's something that St. John and I really relate to because, uh, I mean, his dad was a bit more notorious and was really having a lot to lie to him, you know, when at, at the dinner table. My dad didn't really lie too much. As he just didn't say anything. St. John's a musician also, and he mm -hmm. uh, was down in uh, Northern California. I'm in Oregon, and I would we travel down to Northern California quite a bit to uh, play music, and I had met St. John. But I said, St. John, you're E. Howard Hunt's kid. <laughs> Your book should be coming from out of New York. I mean, there were stories in Rolling Stone and everything, but it just never happened. What were and they so afraid fine? of, Chris? What were they afraid uh, of publishing? What was so revealing about the behind-the-scenes story of the CIA that they were afraid to publish well, St. John's book, and yet you championed it? Well, E. Howard Hunt is a very, very interesting fella. St. John's mother was very interesting. Both of them met when they were working for Averill Harriman, who's Skull and Bones, in Paris. So there's a long history there. I always find it very interesting why books get suppressed. And about E. Howard Hunt, it's basically, if you just start pulling any thread of E. Howard Hunt, you come up with amazing things. I mean, he started working with Nixon when Nixon was a vice president. So he knew a lot of things. He was involved in lots of different things. And so it's just another book that we did. It's about remote viewing. Hmm. And it was very silly, and this author comes to me, he'd been with a major agent, the agent was all excited and everything, and this book was going somewhere, and then all of a sudden, it stopped. <laughs> they pulled a plug so, on it. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this book, and I'm trying to figure out, now, what are, what's the problem? Why are they scared of this book, you know? And it, it got down to, well, it, it kind of showed that there's, another way to live we don't have to just you know have war and kill each other all the time there's you know there's uh, it, it was almost it was kind of a a buddhist outlook almost to a certain extent and it, it I, I found it very very amazing and so it, it has been a very i mean let me let me tell you i don't know if you uh, i haven't been on your show before so what my father told me uh, he had, he had earlier he he'd mentioned some things about because this was the late sixties. He says, "How come all you kids are running around, you know, growing your hair long and and doing drugs and and wearing all these clothes, you know, and you're all doing it all at the same time, you know, what's going on?" And uh, and he was very worried about heroin. And I told him, I says, "Listen, that I I don't even see the stuff. I I, I smoke a little pot and and." <laughs> At that time, I'll never forget, my dad said, uh, well, you're still making money for them. And the way that he spat out them, I knew he didn't like these people. Who were and, them? Uh, well, we'll get to that. Okay. And so uh, a little later on, he uh, it was the day before my uh, 20th birthday, and I figured I was visiting the folks, and we were going to have uh, uh, cake and ice cream and stuff. I was married and had a kid. and. Um, uh, he had a, a friend of his, uh, Dr. D.F. Fleming from Vanderbilt, uh, was visiting him. And he said, it, it's time to have a talk. And he, and he, and he took me in uh, what I call my little brother's room and uh, sat me down and uh, looked at me. And the first words out of his mouth were, uh, the Vietnam War is about drugs. There's these secret societies behind it. So, you know, wow. I'm... You know, 19, I'm thinking, okay, he's talking about the mafia, you know, my head. Because that's the only thing, secret society and drugs, the only thing I could think of. Now, what, that's what, and, exactly what I would think of, too. And, and then he said, um, and communism's all a sham. These same secret societies are behind it all. It's all a big game. Okay? And he says that, and, you know... It doesn't compute. I've been stuffed under desk because Ruskies were going to bomb us. Yeah. Um, Duck and, and cover. You know, I'm thinking, okay, my dad's not, you know, what's going on here? 
And so this little light bulb comes on my head and says, oh, dad is having the drug talk with me. Okay, because he hadn't had the other one. I, like I said, I was already married and had a six-month-old kid. Okay, so um, I, I start to, you know, I, I'm straightening up and, and I'm uh, ready to say yes, sir. And I, I'm waiting for my father to tell me to stop smoking pot. But he doesn't. He ends up telling me all about his intelligence career, about when he started as an 18-year-old kid, as an exchange student to the University of China, uh, Shanghai, in, in China in the 30s. And he, he went to this uh, meeting in 37 at Oxford, a World Council of Churches with the Dulles Brothers. And then uh, he graduated from college in 39. He was supposed to go to Switzerland. Uh, he didn't go to Switzerland. Uh, he went to Washington, D.C., uh, and soon ended up in the basement of the Library of Congress, first working for Donovan's first organization, COI, Coordinator of Information. And then he went from that to uh, OSS, and then he got drafted, and OSS thought, hey, this is good. We can sheep dip you. You'll still be working for OSS. We're going to put you into the military. We're going to put you into G2, and we're going to put you on MacArthur's staff because we don't trust MacArthur and Willoughby. Okay. What year so, was this, Chris? That, uh, that this, this was happening to him. Forty-two, forty-three. Okay. Middle of the Second World War. Okay. Thanks. Right. Yeah. And and he uh, um, ended up. They ended up putting him on as the personal and private secretary to a Dr. Hayden, who was on MacArthur's staff. And then uh, Dr. Hayden came back to talk to Roosevelt, and he died. And so my dad came back and picked up his papers, and uh, there's this one paper that he shows all the stuff he picked up, and there was one thing that just really opened my eyes, because it was like two pages of just you know, every document about the Philippines, everything about the people, about the economics, about the mineral well, I mean, everything. They, <laughs> and and uh, then he went back and he started running a bunch of the guerrillas because Dr. Uh, Hayden had been in the Philippines before, because we, the, the United States owned the Philippines. And uh, so he started running a bunch of the guerrillas and um, he went into Manila before the uh, troops did with the guerrillas, and they sequestered the puppet government's library and papers, and he got sued by the Japanese government for doing that and got given a legion of merit by the American government. And he started working with the uh, guerrillas in uh, putting together their diplomatic mission and their, their, their government, and they put a bunch of the collaborators in jail. And... Uh, there's a book that he edited called Betrayal of the Philippines by Hernando Obaya, if anybody cares to look at it, um, that tells a lot, of the, uh, a lot of that story. MacArthur finally got to the Philippines because he'd been raised in the Philippines as, as a kid because his dad was military governor there. And he found a bunch of his friends in jail. And he says, well, who did that? And my dad was, quote, unquote, responsible guy. So he said, get rid of Milligan. So they had to bring in somebody who was in both G2 and an OSS at the same time, and there was very few of them at that time, and the person that they brought in was a guy by the name of Ed Lansdale, who, if you've looked into the conspiracy literature, he becomes a fairly familiar figure. He was very big on psychological warfare, and during World War II, my dad started working in psychological warfare, also when he was in G2, and then they moved my dad from the Philippines to being head of research and analysis for the invasion of Japan, and they brought in Lansdale, and within two weeks of Lansdale arriving in the Philippines, he stumbled across all the gold and everything, and then Lansdale went with MacArthur to run Japan, and there's a very good book, and if you can get him on, I strongly recommend Sterling Seagrave. He was the son of the Burma surgeon, and he wrote a book called The Gold Warriors. Um, Can you give a bit of background about Ed Lansdale and how he connects to the Kennedy assassination? Well, uh, Fletcher Prouty, uh, who uh, was the liaison from the Air Force to the CIA, 
In other words, if the CIA wanted to use any of Air Force assets, they had to go through Fletcher Prouty. Um, he was quite familiar with CIA operations. Um, Fletcher and... Prouty, folks, sorry to interrupt you, just to give you a, an idea. In the movie JFK, Donald Sutherland plays a composite character, but 90% of it is Fletcher Prouty. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no, no problem, no problem. And, and um, uh, he, he, there's a picture there of the uh, uh, tramps, actually, and he says, that's Lansdale. Because Lansdale had a particular ring, had a particular way he held his hand, and, and you can see that the gentleman also has a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, earphone in his in, in his ear, and and Lansdale was uh, he was the uh, there's two big novels about Vietnam, uh, the Ugly American and the Other American. Uh, Lansdale was the uh, prototype for both of them. He was the uh, RCIA guy in uh, Vietnam. Um, there's a book actually by uh, Gerald Posner, one of his first books called The Triad. And in there, you can. It, it, he talks about one of the very few shooting wars between Western intelligence agencies. After the Bien Van Phu, uh, we uh, uh, kicked the uh, well. The, the French left uh, uh, Vietnam, uh, but they didn't leave the Golden Triangle. And uh, Lansdale says, "Well, hey, you guys should go." And, and French intelligence says, "Well, you know, we've got our Corsican uh, buddies here, and we're going to stay." And so Lansdale went and got his own course again, Lucian Conan, and they had a shooting war and took it over. That was one of the reasons why my dad left, because Lansdale went with MacArthur to Tokyo. They gave my dad a special agent, because MacArthur didn't want him anywhere near Japan. They uh, gave him a special agent to look into the use of heroin and opium by the Japanese before, after, and during World War II. So he ended up going all over China, uh, had uh, interviews with the Sung sisters, uh, and all kinds of things for this report about uh, uh, the Japanese use of, of opium. And then he went back to uh, D.C. and was, uh, as he told me, he was involved in a couple of alphas, and then he was in CIA right when it began. And then he was, uh, like you said earlier, branch chief head of all of East Asia Analysis Office. And then he went... Uh, covert. He uh, told me he got uh, met on a street corner in New York City, uh, got given a, a packet of papers and, and 10,000 bucks, and he set up uh, the Pacific Book Company of, of uh, Jakarta and uh, New York. Um, and then I went over as part of the family, as a, as a CIA front, to, to Indonesia, because my, my father was from the West Coast and was a liberal. Uh, and they needed somebody liberal to send to Sukarno. So they, they sent my dad to Sukarno, and we, he set up a bookstore in, uh, in Indonesia. And that and, was a CIA uh, front, Chris? As, as a CIA front, yes. Was he laundering yeah. money through there? Is that what was happening? Uh, I, I don't know. I've been told by uh, Colby, who wrote the book about Amazon, that there's a file in the archives with my dad's name on it. I'd like to go go look at it, see what's in there. I'm working on a book on him. He'd be 100 years old, 2018. And I'm, he left the CIA, and he was quote-unquote, an independent businessman going to Indonesia. As I was growing up, he had a office. He'd turn this... Uh, old chicken coop chicken thing into an office and had an office out in the out in the back and and uh he had a tv show in in dc for a little while and just did different things and then in 1956 he he went to vietnam he went to the far east uh we were told as little kids that he was uh writing a book and uh which never got printed uh and or published and uh i don't even think written i've never seen it and uh, he, uh, it was from that trip that led to his leaving the CIA, and it was with a meeting with Lansdale. And I, I didn't find out about this, uh, really, and he mentioned it a little bit, but I didn't really understand it because, I mean, that first meeting, you know, I, I didn't understand much of anything. I mean, they, they, they started talking about Vietnam. They, I mean, they started telling me that they were playing out a loose scenario in Vietnam. And, you know, I, I, I was still a teenager. I mean, I was still wrapping my head around. There's, let me see, we 
trying to kill each other, but there's rules in war. I, you know, <laughs> it, it didn't make sense to me. And then, then my dad's telling me that they're playing out a loose scenario in Vietnam. And, and, and then he, they start talking about psychological warfare and propaganda and sway pieces. And, you know, I, I had no idea what they were talking about. It just didn't make any sense to me. Did drugs, I, I, did drugs ever come up in the conversation that they were funneling drugs? Through uh, Southeast Asia, Vietnam, and coming into, he, he he never really talked about that directly. Okay, he, you know, I mean, he told me he said the Vietnam War was about drugs. <laughs> he he yeah. said that. Yeah, you know, and 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 when he when I finally figured, I didn't really figure it out uh, a lot, and because it it was really hard to get my head around. And, and, and communism's all a sham. These same secret societies behind it all is all a big game. And then finally I came across uh, Anthony Sutton's book. Right. Um, and, and I said, oh, well, this <laughs> makes some sense. And I came across that book in 1988. My dad died in early 1990. And he'd had Parkinson's for the last five, six, seven years of his life taking all kinds of heavy medication, and then he died of pancreatic cancer uh, real early in 1990. And so I really never got to got to talk to him once I gathered some understanding of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going through, I, I really learned a lot when I'm going through his papers after, after he died, even though his, uh, you know, a couple days after he dies, uh, these two uh, Kids from some college uh, show up and tell, say, "My mom, hey, uh, we'd like to go through your husband's papers, you know." And she lets them in the door and lets them go through the papers, you know. And so, uh, and I, I think that's one reason I found the most interesting ones in these off-the-way uh, boxes. But um, so, I'm going through his papers and I look at this 1956 trip, and I see that. He had been in Chiang Mai, Thailand. At this time, I was doing a lot of heavy research on CIA drugs. Confirmed that Chiang Mai was basically a, a heroin city. There was a four-lane highway straight to the Golden Triangle on it, and all the banks had branches there. Then I'd been told in my lifetime that Chiang Mai had been a small village, and now it was the second largest city in Thailand. Uh, I was having a hard time finding out information about how big Chiang Mai was. So then I'm going through these papers, I see my dad's been in Chiang Mai, so I can ask my mom, because she'd been with him on this trip. Mm. And so the next time I go to a family house, I, I say, Mom, how big was Chiang Mai? And she says, oh, it wasn't very big. I've got pictures of it in the in a picture book, and probably the biggest thing in town was a church. And so I'm reaching up and to get the picture book to look at it, and then my mother says, and that's when I stopped believing everything I read in the newspapers. And I like that because I'd ask my mother questions, and she was a very good CIA. I, I know nothing. I don't know anything. She wouldn't tell me anything. And, and so this perked up my ears, and I and so I'm looking at the picture book, and there's a Chiang Mai, and there's a church, and it's obviously not a very big town. It's pretty much a village, and uh, or a town. It's not a city. And uh, uh, I, I turn the, the picture book back, and there's my dad with Lansdale in Vietnam. And uh, then there's this beautiful picture of my mother. Just She's just vivacious in it. And I mean, after I, I, I I'd shown this picture to my siblings and it ended up being one of the main pictures in her memorial because she just so vivacious in it glowing and and you can see in that picture there's Lansdale he's she's standing up and he's sitting on the ground under underneath and he's they're, they're having a picnic you know because my mother I says what do you mean and she says well when we'd gone to Thailand uh, right after we'd been in Vietnam the big story in Thailand was about how there'd been this big battle right where we'd been and she said, there was no battle. We were having a picnic. And so I'm looking at these pictures, and yeah, there's people, and there are guys running around in, in fatigues and, and black berets and stuff. And, and then you look at this picture of my mother, and her um, writing on the side of the picture says, Eudora, that's her name, Eudora out from Saigon with Colonel Lansdale and North Vietnamese military leaders. And this was right after Lansdale had had that 
shooting war with the French and had taken over the Golden Triangle. So they have a picnic. They hmm. tell the world it's a battle. Well, why do you do that? Because you harden the sides. Pretty soon we have a shooting war, okay? And we send American boys and girls to hell. And some Canadian boys and girls too. To hell for one year. Okay, those boys and girls know that after one year, they get to go home, right? Yep. So if they survive that year, they get to go home. And so some of those boys and girls get addicted to the heroin that's being proffered to them by about anybody who's 12 years and up. Because part of what was going on is the boomer generation... My dad told me that they're out to opiate your whole generation. It was the first time I'd ever heard the word opiate. I knew what it meant. I was a hippie. I saw it. There'd be marijuana around, and all of a sudden, all the marijuana would be gone. But there'd be all kinds of white drugs around and stuff like that. And so they were out to opiate the whole generation because there's a book called Generations, A History of America's Future. You, you see, I, I like books. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why... They burn books, and there's a reason why I publish books. But Generations, A History of America's Future. It was written by uh, one of the gentlemen was one of the comedians in the Capitol Steps. He's since passed on. It's a very good book, and it, it goes back to the 15th century and shows that there's these series of four generations uh, that, that push us together. We have a civic, an adaptive, a reactive, and I can't remember what the other one is, okay, that, that, that move us forward. And they show that in 1860, there was the civic generation. They were young, young kids, just young kids and starting to be teenagers when Lincoln was shot. And you have, uh, you have the, the war and assassination and opium. And that generation never, never came together. It never cohered. It never cohered. Some of them joined generations before, some of them joined generations after, some of them just went out in the woods and did weird stuff, okay? So, but what does that mean? Okay, well, when you look at, at, at the narrative and how we get controlled, okay, our first fail-safe device is what is known to us as the dialectic. Okay, I, I call it the dark hallway. In other words, you, you walk down a dark hallway, you might bump into one side, and then after a while you might bump into the other side. And the dialectic, you know, it's known to us, Hegel, historical dialectic, uh, thesis, antithesis, uh, synthesis. And if you can control both the thesis and the antithesis, you have a good chance of controlling the synthesis, right? So I say some stuff that I know is true about secret societies, drug running, and intelligence agencies, okay? Then I find people that I know are spooks saying stuff just a little bit more outrageous, okay? It's because by controlling the extremes, you control the middle, okay? So our first fail-safe device, the dialectic, is corrupted, okay? The next fail-safe device is this cycle of generations. It's got a lot more moving parts. It's got a lot more mass. It's more intelligent. We saw as a generation, we saw this war, assassination. We jumped aside and created a counterculture. This counterculture was able to sustain itself. One reason, because some of these people in the 1860s went out in the woods and did weird stuff, but it was able to sustain itself. And then we did cohere. We came together as hippies around a joint being smoked around a circle. Basically, we didn't go all the way to the syringe that they wanted us to. We stopped at the rolling paper and create a culture, okay? And the History Channel did a big special on the hippies. And they said, okay, what came out of the hippies? 
And they said at the end of the day, you know, yeah, there was music and food and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, it was the personal computer and the Internet. Okay? And so the personal computer, hey, what are we doing? We are doing this on a personal computer. We, that, it, a personal computer allows us to do this, allows me to be a publisher to produce books, allows you to do a radio show, okay? And then the Internet allows us to talk to each other. So basically, these are the tools that we as a society all are using to fight this corruption, because that's all it is. It's people lying and cheating and stealing and using secrecy to do it with. Okay? Now, in looking at this since my daddy told me in 1969, Lord have mercy, um, I've come to this conclusion of, of how the secret societies run the world. And it's a Leviathan of three levels, and each level has three parts. The top level is mining, metal, and money. And Canada is very <laughs> much a part of that, okay? It's because, you know, if you, know, you think about it, it, it makes so much sense. If you control the mining that controls the metal, then you have a good chance of controlling the money that's supposed to have been based on that metal, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I look at Skull and Bones, and I look at who the members are, I look at what they own, I look at what they do, and I find these a lot of mining engineers, and they own a lot of mining companies and mining stocks, and you look at the history of California, Montana, and Arizona, and you have Skull and Bones in there just scooping this stuff up, you know? I've got a book coming out, Calling All Angels. So the next level is drugs, guns, and oil. Hmm. And that's a very active, you know, where they use war. And, you know, the secret societies are, are, are based on drugs, okay? I mean, Skull and Bones was set up by Russell and Company, which was, uh, you know, the largest American smuggler, the third largest in the world. Um, it, it's, it's a long, long story, but they're, they've been the top opium smugglers uh, since the 1830s, okay? Um, and they use that money uh, to buy up the other industries. And, and I mean, it is so dear to them that uh, they created the whole uh, Spanish-American War uh, to make opium illegal again because it, it became legal after the Second Opium War. They lost their cash cow. They needed that cash cow. The, the prohibitions that we have have nothing to do with our health our community, or our children. They have to do with keeping in place a black market that allows people in the shadows to sell plants for many times more than gold, okay? And it creates huge, big slush funds. And then uh, oil, it was a gentleman from Skull and Bones in 1855 that took gasoline for the very first time. He took petroleum, rock oil, and made gasoline and made paraffin and he wrote a letter and he said gentlemen with a very inexpensive process you have some very valuable products as soon as he wrote that letter pennsylvania rock oil company passed into hands of investors in new haven connecticut the Bissells, who started the pennsylvania rock oil company and the townsends who they'd gone to financing for soon had their very sons at yale in the order of skull and bones rockefellers are in skull and bones the only reason we go to the oil stores because these guys have monopolized it. Tons of different ways of getting energy. Skull and Bones is based in Connecticut. All the Browning rifles for World War One and Two were made right up the street from the Skull and Bones Temple. That's where the submarines, uh, GE, the helicopters, and we find them at selling arms to both sides and at the peace tables, mm -hmm. setting up the next war. And then where this Leviathan meets the road, and they use all that drug money to buy up all the media. And then you've got movies slash music. They have to control the culture, or the culture will bite them in the behind. And then the last thing is quote-unquote magic. The ability to hoodwink us, and the preponderance of their using mass trauma to scare the bejesus or the heck out of us, whatever. That's what the Kennedy assassination was at its core. 
it was a psychological hit. And it's about, um, there's this uh, old story in, in, in alchemy, in, in, in magic, about uh, there's this formula. Uh, and it's been touted as, as this is what, quote-unquote, the bad guys are doing, okay? And, and within this formula is the, uh, first, the destruction of primordial matter, okay? The atomic bomb was first done at the uh, Trinity site, okay, on the 33rd degree parallel. And then you have the second part of this uh, magical formula is the killing of the king. And you uh, killed the king, uh, Kennedy, at the uh, Trinity River, uh, Dealey Plaza at a trident, uh, right near the 33rd degree parallel. And then the last part of that is bringing uh, stars down to, to Earth, uh, bringing the moon rocks down, and, and you have uh, uh, Houston and, 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 and all of that. Well, what is it that this, this formula is for, you know? And, and what this formula is for is to create chaos. Because, you see, America is an interesting country. What is the advantage of having chaos in the world, Chris? Folks need to hear this. Again, it goes back to the dialectic and, and the thesis, antithesis. Out of the chaos, you bring control. A big part of the map to that is that war and fear. Uh, yeah, war. War is part of it, and 9/11 and was a part of it. Mm -hmm. It's like that quote from uh, Casey: uh, "When the American public uh, knows nothing is doesn't know what's true or not, then we know our disinformation campaign is is, is successful." Mm. And, you know, he was head of the CIA. He was also responsible for capital cities, uh, buying ABC and whatnot. And that source has been, uh, been verified. And, uh, and, and that's a lot of it. I mean, we've been, uh, the psychological warfare that has been foisted upon the American public, especially through television, through the, through the media, uh, and, and through control of the narrative, uh, is just astounding because... Con contrast that quote from Casey, then um, bring up in your mind's eye, um, you've been looking at the Kennedy assassination a little while. Uh, you, you know what uh, uh, commission exhibit number 399 is? Yeah, I've heard of that. That's the magic bullet, folks, the bullet they found on a gurney in pristine condition with no blood on it and no flesh on it, yet they say it caused seven wounds in Kennedy and Connolly, including breaking bones. Impossible. Well, but, but, but we're supposed to believe that. We're supposed to believe, okay, that is in the uh, internal records. I mean, that is the bullet that they said did that. That is the official stance of the United States government. That's the official stance of the media, that is what we are supposed to believe. Is there a higher power above the media that the media is terrified of? Is that why they won't give legitimate researchers, many of your authors, William Law no, comes to mind, the time of day? They're, they're just bought and paid for. They're, they're, just, they're just bought and paid for. They're, they're part of it. I mean, um, it How does the hierarchy work, Chris? You have the media, who's above, right above the media? Well, the, the last time that somebody with some wherewithal, the United States Congress, tried to figure out, okay, who owns this stuff? Oh, okay. And uh, they came down to uh, six, trust, comp uh, six uh, trust departments huh. uh, of the big banks in New York City. That's one of my questions for you. Is there a continuing dumbing down? See, I think change, things changed drastically after November 22nd, 1963, oh, the Kennedy assassination. Absolutely. And I see it as a continuation of a dumbing down of a complete population. You had mentioned TV. Um, I've seen how TV has started out giving us intelligent things like documentaries, and now... We're getting reality shows and things that are just about the bottom line. There's no substance to it. How do you feel about that, Chris? Uh, 
our um, media got captured and serves us poorly. Our education system got mm -hmm. captured and serves us poorly. Our government got captured by these forces and serves us poorly. Um, and, you know, I mean, this didn't just start uh, yesterday or last year or something like that. I mean, and somebody didn't wake up in the early part of 1963 and say, hey, uh, you know, let's kill the president. Okay, because when you look at it, you see ducks that were put in a row even before Kennedy was elected. And now, who was the crew of the Kennedy assassination? Uh, uh, for, for, for my money, I, I like Rodney Stick. Uh, in, in defrauding America, uh, he revealed a uh, uh, Trent Parker from uh, Office of Naval Intelligence uh, who had been shadowing Hoover, and they got a conversation, uh, and uh, it was... Hoover, Johnson, Dulles, George H.W. Bush, and uh, Nelson Rockefeller. And uh, to, for my money, that's your crew with Lansdale writing the script. Okay, because uh, these things just don't happen. They, 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 go, they go by a script. And that's one reason what Lansdale was there, to make sure that, you know, it operated uh, the way that it did, and it, it's it's why you know Art Pepper, uh, who has uh, done some great books, he's he's a lawyer, uh, shown that uh, um, the King assassination wasn't like we were told, and and some of the things that came out from that was he's shown that you know there was parts of military intelligence up there actually filming the whole thing. Okay, I mean now why do you film something? Well, you, you, you want to make sure the narrative, the, you know, every, 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 everything works right. You know, mm -hmm. you, you get your narrative down. And let's, let's talk about something current that just happened. As of this taping, uh, a couple of days ago, Hillary Clinton was at a 9-11 um, memorial, and she quote-unquote fainted. To me, it, and had to be helped uh, to her waiting, a waiting vehicle, to me it looked more like she had a seizure. You know, I, 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 have, I have no idea. All I know is what I'm fed from the media. Okay. okay. I, I have no personal um, insight into uh, Hillary's condition or, or, or things. And, but well, I, I just have want been to zoom out to what I call conspiracy theory land for a long time. And when I read the conspiracy theory tea leaves, Hillary has been set up to lose. She'd been set up to lose even before, you know, it, it had been set up to be Bush versus Clinton, and Clinton was going to lose. Um, and I, 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 this election just, you know, I, Lord have mercy. I, I wish I could wake up and go to sleep, and it'd be over six months gone or something. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's painful for me. Well, I was going to ask you, do you think that the media is feeding us something that's coming f directly, uh, if you will, a manufactured answer that's coming directly from the campaign in order to cover up a more serious problem with her? And if there is a more serious problem with her, and if she is one of the players in this script that we've been talking about, is she on script or is she off script at this point? Uh, you know, uh, again... I, I have to say I don't know. Fair enough, Chris. Uh, I, I have to say I don't know. I, I, I say that uh, uh, the powers that be, the psychological warfare effect of having a Trump presidency mm. upon the psyche of America would be huge, would it not? It sure okay. would Okay. And as we've been shown, and as I've said for many many years we haven't had an honest election mm. in years in, in my lifetime it's going to boil down to who controls those computer machines who wins the election the last person that's going to be able to get into those machines and lock them down for their result because that's where american elections have come from for the last 20 years and if we don't i mean they showed us directly uh, in, in 2000, where Gore won, but then they come on to, oh, well, maybe he didn't really win, uh, and, uh, oh, we're, we're going to put the idiot son in, okay? And you, you need to have the idiot son, a member of the Order of Skull and Bones, when they did 
uh, 9-11. And, you know, the Cheneys are... Dick just didn't graduate from from Yale because he couldn't stick it out. But there's nine Cheney family members in the Order of Skull and Bones. Wow. I have no idea. No idea whatsoever. Okay, I want to jump back to your dad for a second and talk about psychological warfare. Did he give you any inclination at the time that he was working for the CIA doing psychological warfare with the ramifications, some of the ops that he might have been working on at those times? Um, mostly the drugs. The, the, the drugs. Okay. And, and, and it's, it's my understanding because it was that meeting with Lansdale yeah. uh, that, uh, that uh, left him to leave. There's a dispute between uh, my sister and I. Uh, my sister says she saw some papers, which we can't ever, never, ever seen, that, that says he left in 57. My father told me he left, uh, he left partway in 57, but he didn't leave totally uh, till 59. We got, basically, um, after he came back from uh, this trip in the Far East, uh, I mean, things really changed. We'd been living on this uh, 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 farm uh uh, out in the country a ways, all of a sudden that farm was put up for sale. Uh, we were supposed to move to Rochester, New York. We didn't move that. We stayed in Fairfax. Uh, and then about uh, another year later, my dad was suddenly uh, uh, appointed a- as a vice president of a college in, in Tennessee. Okay. And uh, working with uh, his-, his main agency was working with foreign students. Do you know, and- Chris, if he... I, I have- I assume that both you and he discussed the Kennedy assassination. I mean, it would be like anybody today discussing 9-11. Did he bring anything to the table that you were unaware of, given his close no, proximity I, with it, Lansdale? I mean, it, the thing, no, he didn't. I, it, it, because, you know, my dad wasn't a overly a political person. He was, he was a Democrat, and he, he had been a precinct person. You know, we got Look and Life and Saturday Evening Post. We didn't get any kind of radical uh, magazines or anything, and, you know, we just watched NBC News and stuff. I remember we were watching some white paper one time about Vietnam, and they were mm. saying, oh, we didn't know this, and we didn't know that, and my dad said, oh, we knew all that. But it wasn't really... Uh, uh, some way, and you know, I I got to thinking about it later on, and you know, because my dad said uh, he was talking to me because it was ten years after, and he'd signed a thing earlier that said he couldn't talk for ten years, and I got to thinking about it later on. I mean, it didn't really make much difference if he talked or not. I I, mean, I was his son. I didn't even believe him, you know, and 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 because the narrative that they talk about. Uh, it, it is so far removed in, in, from, and especially then, especially then. I mean, I, I, um, it, it's just so far that, that people don't. I mean, people don't believe me now, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 and, and then it, and it's a real um, mind, you know. Uh, then what? So I started looking at CIA drugs, and then when you start looking at what I call CIA drugs, the dark side, which is the mind control side, it's just a uh, a real mind uh, MK Ultra of uh, LSD. Yeah, and and you know all kinds. I mean, but it's it's it, there's all kinds of myths and disinformation and and all, mm-hmm. all kinds of. I mean, they did try and use LSD to uh, you know to to do things, but LSD isn't as you know heroin's pretty easy to control. Here, kid, have some. Oh, you want some more? How about your friends? You know, LSD people have. In, intense experiences. Uh, sometimes they tend to grow up and proselytize or, or whatever. Mm. It's not as easy to control. They did use it to mess up things. There's people that say, well, you know, the CIA created everything about the hippies and it was all controlled to people on the other side that say, oh man, no, it, it all just happened. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle, you okay. know. That's fair. It's not as easy to uh, always control people as you want. Let's yeah. talk about the Kennedy assassination some more. You, you've got something pretty spectacular set to go October 14th and 16th, 2016, folks. You don't want to miss this. Can you tell the folks what you've got planned for those dates? Well, it, it's an Oswald conference, and, and actually it, it started there in Toronto in Canada. Um, and uh, it, it's, we, we did uh, Judith Barry Baker's book after we did uh, Ed Haslam's. 
Um, and I know there's lots of controversy. I, I spent two years on it. Uh, uh, she is who she says she is. Uh, I, I've sat here as a publisher for many people sent me all nobody sent me anything that disproves anything there's all kinds of chatterack and whatnot but uh so uh, when we first did her book uh, her book came out and she wouldn't come to the united she wouldn't have a book signing she wouldn't do anything hmm. and so uh finally when her second uh, when the uh, soft cover came out i said well judith you won't come to the united states because uh, she'd been in too many hospitals and too many accidents i says well what about Canada? Will you come to Canada? And she thought about it, and she says, okay, I'll come to Toronto. So I, I set up a thing there at the uh, Conspiracy uh, Bookstore there, and uh, I says, well, when do you want to do it? And I says, the book's going to come out in, you know, uh, fall. And she says, well, what about Oswald's birthday? And I, I says, great, you know, she's going to come. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate Oswald's birthday. So... Uh, we did it, and as we were doing it, I, I start. I, I was, wow, this is a heck of a political act, because you know we're supposed to hate this creepy little guy. He killed our president, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here, Judith is celebrating his birthday. This so, conference is not in, in Toronto, though. No, no, this conference okay. is in New Orleans. This there you New go, Orleans. folks. But, yeah. but, but so she first came there, and we got we got tremendous uh, you know response from the press. Um, and uh, uh, it was nice, and, and so next year I, I, I says, well, Judith, why don't you come to uh, the west coast of the United States? And so we, she came there, and we celebrated uh, Lee's birthday uh, in California, and then the next year we celebrated it in New Orleans and at Antoine's, and then we celebrated it the next year down by the river, and last year down uh, by a, a place called oh, River. darn, Chris, there's the music. I'm so sorry. Thanks so much for coming on the show, folks. www.nightfrightshow.com. All the links to all the things we've been talking about will be there, including a link so you can get more information on this great Oswald conference taking place October 14th, 16th in New Orleans, 2016. Chris, thank you, my friend. Thank you. We'll see you soon. You take care, buddy. God bless you. God bless you. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. See you all later. Accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.